Bibles this morning, turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Looks like she didn't want to leave. You know, this time of year as we get things going and you see all the things starting to come back to life. There's a house I go by, and there's this bunch of weed. I guess about the only way to describe it. In the corner of the yard, I noticed it all the time. It took me a while to figure out what it was. It's, it's a grapevine of some sort. It don't look like one. And I think the reason why is it's not, it's not been tended in years. The people who used to have the house, I remember as a kid going by and seeing it, and it was just beautiful yard was well maintained and over over time I guess it got to be too much and so they quit tending to it and the, the vine has become this ball of sticks if I wouldn't known it was a vine I would just think well gee they just got a bunch of briars or something growing up and, yeah, but it is a it's a fruit vine of some kind probably a grape vine I think is the way it looks but I started wondering about vines this week Jesus in chapter 15 talks about the true vine. But I found out as I was reading his and thought, looking at things that there's disadvantages for not pruning vines. And after the first year you don't prune, it grows and grows and becomes a place of shade. But it hampers the fruits. And as you don't take care of it, the next year it'll grow more and there'll be less fruit. And before long, though, the, the shade gets to be overwhelmed by just the vine itself, and it just starts to become the jungle, and it becomes a big pile of twigs. Still alive, but just non-functioning, I guess, is the best way to see it. In chapter 15, Jesus wrote, he said, I am, or said, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, <coughs> he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. <coughs> it says, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, except that it abideth in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abideth not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. Men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. So as Jesus was telling them, he says, this, you know, it's important to stay in him yeah. and to, to abide in him. And so my question, and I have to ask myself this all the time, how's your abiding? How are you doing in that abiding in Christ? You know, and it, it's easy to say, well, we're here this morning. 
we're, we're doing what we're supposed to. Hey, I read my Bible. I've done this. But, you know, you can go through the motions of a lot of things. But it's how you do with what you have. You know, we can be emotional. We can come to church. We can cry. We can do this. But it don't, that, that's fine. And that, that, that ought to happen. But let me ask a question. How are your fruits? Because if you're not abiding in him, then you don't have any fruits. And, and so as I thought about this, uh, you know, he talks about staying in him. We see if, if we abide, he, he says, look what he says in verse, verse 6. If you don't, if a bat man abide not with me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. Men come and grab, gather them and cast them into a fire and they're burned. So basically God said, Jesus said as a child of God, abide in me or look at the consequences of what happens to you. How many of you have had that time when you've been that branch that's withered and, and, and it's like somebody's gathered you up and just chunked you in the fire and just, you know, and you're burned? How many of you have gone through the burning process in your life because you've gotten away from God? You're not abiding in Him as you ought to. You're more out in the world. It happens easily. We can come to church on Sunday, but how are you acting on Monday? You know, I, I think about, as I thought about this, I thought about, you know, how, how it easily it happens. Look at Peter. And I, come, I got to think about the two stories of Peter when they're in the boat and Jesus comes up walking to them on water. And, and Peter sees them and all of them see them. And, and all of a sudden Peter says, Lord, if it's you, let me walk out there towards you. And so Peter steps out of the boat and he walks to Jesus. Now, you know, we, I, I've seen pictures <coughs> that don't do it justice. Uh, like this is the boat, then Peter steps right here and he starts to sink. You got to remember, they didn't recognize Jesus to start with. So it's not like Jesus walks up to the boat and says, hey boys. They saw him, and he walks out to them. Now, one thing we're not taking into consideration either, when Peter steps out of the boat, it's not this calm water that the boat's just sitting there, and Peter's stepping out on this smooth surface. There had been a storm going on. The storm had not stopped. And Peter steps out of the boat and says, Lord, let me walk to you. And he starts to walk to Jesus. He makes it all the way to him. Just like a lot of us, we get real close to him. Have you ever been real close to them? Boom, you take your eyes off of them and you start to sink just like Peter did. I don't know about y'all. Has anybody ever stepped off the end of a pier? When you hit the water, it's not a slow, sudden go down. It's quick. You know, and the Bible says he began to sink. Well, yes, he began to sink because he was on water. And he, he's going down, and you think about it. He is like that vine that's in the fire. He is being compassed by the water around him, by the storm that's all around him. He took his eyes off Jesus, focused on the storm, and started to go down. He was no longer abiding in Christ. He was there, but he wasn't with Christ. 
How many of us have gone through the motions? You come to church, you come, you watch, or whatever it is, and you say, well, I'm real close, but boom, something happens. You take your eyes off of them for a second. Next thing you know, you're neck deep up in water and there's a storm coming. The waves are tossing you. What could happen? If Peter wouldn't have cried out to Christ right then, Peter would have been a goner. But he cried out, Lord, save me. And I thought about another one. What about Damas? You know, Damas, we, we don't know a lot about him. We don't know what happened to him. We don't know really why he left. All we know is that basically, as Paul was writing the letter to young Timothy in Timothy, Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, something happened, and you could tell it really concerned Paul because he says, Damas. Love the present word has deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica. Demos, who is with me? Demos, who cared or walked with me? Who, who traveled with me? Who heard me? He's left. You ever thought about that? Sometimes we're busy, then boom, we're not there anymore. And, and the same thing, something got hold of him. And he got away from God. He got away, and now... Where is he at? It's so easy to happen. Maybe Damas feared, you know, being executed and kind of left. Or, or maybe, you know, the immortality. And that's what a lot of people went, believe because where he went to. The morality that, that he, he was wanting more of the world than he wanted of Christ. How easy is that of us? You know, we, we look at Damas, we say, boy, he was just horrible. I can't believe he left. But it's only by the grace of God that's not you today. Or it could be. Because you realize that it could have been a while. Damas could have been in the world and still coming with Paul before he made his exit. When you're not abiding. Whatever it was, Paul saw as embracing the world. You think, as Paul describes this as Damas, we forget there's another young man there. Mark. Y'all remember the story of Mark. Mark went, John Mark went with Paul and Barnabas, and in some way, in the middle of all of it, he kind of got homesick and, and went home, and it really upset Paul. When Barnabas said, Hey, on the next trip, let's take Mark, Paul would have nothing of it. It was such a bad decision that it caused Paul and Barnabas to split up. But here we see just a little bit further, he says in Second Timothy, the next verse after talking about Damas, he says basically get Mark, bring him with him because he's useful for the ministry. See, Mark was able to leave, but he came back. He started to abide and he became useful. How are you abiding today? Are you in Christ? Is he part of you? You know, sometimes I, I, I got thinking about it. I said, you know, when he, you, you read this and he says in, in verse 2 of John, it says, every branch in me beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. Or he prunes it. You know, pruning's not easy. Yesterday I got out and was pruning a couple of branches off the trees in front of the yard and I had a pole saw. I cheat. I got an electric pole saw. I think I'll cut through it quick. I was covered though in 
pieces of tree, I guess, is the best way to describe it. And I thought about it. I said, you know, if that tree could feel, it would be hollering at me, stop, this hurts. Sometimes when God looks at you and says, I'm going to prune you a little bit. I got to take some things away from you so that you can become more of what I need. Now, you know, uh, I, I read one commentator and he said this. He said, you know, I had a dog once and they told me to clip its ears. And they says, it wouldn't hurt. He says, I'm just glad the dog can't talk because probably even to this day it would look at me and say, look what you did to me. It hurt. Sometimes we go through things in life and go, God, why am I going through this? God says, because I've got to purge you. I've got to take some things away from you. Because if not, you're not going to bear the fruit that you need to. And I thought about what are the things that God takes away from us? And I thought a lot of times he has to purge the idolatry out of our life. You know, we, we don't think about it, but God tells us in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, we're not to have any other gods before him. But how many of us do? You know, how many of us put things before God? Jesus said in Mark, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. How many of us truly do that? How many of us seek God first or do we think about things first or stuff first or other things before God? Jesus says before he said that in, in, in Matthew 6, in verse 19, he says, Lay not up yourself treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust do corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust corrupt, where thieves do not break through to steal. And then he puts the one verse that really gets us off, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be. And you know, it's not that earthly treasures are bad. It, 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 it's, but it, it's, they're not of any value really either. You say, well, preacher, you don't know what that cost me. You don't know what all I had to go through. Well, let me ask you a question. Did God give it to you? You know, we, sometimes we don't think about that. Everything we have is because the Lord let us have it. And there's been things in my life he's given me that I wished now I never would have wanted to start with because of what I went through once I got what I was wanting all that time. Anybody else been like that? Oh, I want this, I want this, I want this. And the Lord says, okay, here you go. I'm going to let you have it. And once you see it, you're going to find out it's not everything you thought it was. You know, I think of it like this. I want a big endless bowl of ice cream that never runs out. That sounds like a wonderful thing, especially on a hot day. Just, just you know, but after a while, when you finally stand back up, Jimmy, and I go to put my pants on, guess what? It don't work. 
Sometimes God says, I'm going to let you have this, but before long, I'm going to purge it from you because I want you to learn that things are not that important, that sometimes you need to be closer to me than you are to this stuff or this thing that you wanted. It's the way we focus on it. You know, it's wrong when we have things and our focus as a disciple of Christ becomes the earthly treasures. You know, to lay up your yourself treasures on earth is also to doom yourself to a life of frustration and emptiness. You ever notice that when you get something, it's never enough? I got a survey here. It was done in 1992, so the, the figures are a little off. And it was asking people about the American dream. And so they asked, how much do you make a year? And so they asked a group of people that made around $25,000 a year, what would be the ultimate to have the American dream? And they said, to have a job that made $50,000 a year. So they asked the $50,000 a year people, what would be the ultimate American dream? To have a job that gave me $100,000 a year. So it was basically typical that most people that were asked thought that if I doubled what I had, I would have everything I wanted. How many of y'all remember when the minimum wage was low? You know, we think, well, well we want it high, but... Also, when it was low, everything else was low. It's gone up, and everything else has gone up. You know, Paul told us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, he said, but godliness when contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So if you're where God wants you to be and you're content with the things you have, you have great gain. Listen to what the next verse he says. He says, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Though so many people, the idol of their life is trying to get things. Instead of being the thing that should be most important, we're focusing on the wrong things. Maybe we ought to focus on those things that are mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, the fruits of the Spirit. <clears throat> you know, how many of us focus on this? Listen to the, the verse. Five twenty-two and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. How many of us want more joy and love in our life? What about peace? Wouldn't that be nice to have? We've got more people have more anxiety in, in America than they ever have. And it's because we're looking at the wrong thing. We're focusing on the wrong thing. Instead of focusing on God, trying to be more of what he wants us to be with the love, the joy, the peace, the long suffering, the gentleness, all these things. I'll go ahead and tell you a secret. You can't find these on your own. The only way is through the spirit of the Lord. And that is being as close to Christ as you possibly can, abiding in him and 
Him abiding in you. Then these spirits, these, these fruits come naturally. If you try to do it on your own, you might have happiness for a little bit, but happiness is, is just temporary, amen? Joy and peace and love are permanent. Tell you another thing we need to have purged from our life. This one hurt my feelings. False worship. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10, Isaiah wrote this. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of burnt offerings of rams and fat-fed beasts. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or lambs or in goats. When you come to appear before me, who's required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations and incenses abomination to me. New moons and Sabbath and calling of assemblies I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meetings. God was talking to his people and he was talking to the ones who were coming to the church. He says, why are you here? Basically, they were going through the motions, but they weren't doing what God wanted them to do. And so the first question is, why are you here or why are you watching us today? If you has had to truthfully write down on a piece of paper and bring it to the altar, why you came to church, why are you watching, why are you worshiping, what would that answer be? You know, I can't answer for you and you can't answer for me, but I'll tell you one of the reasons why we ought to be here worshiping today is because of who we worship, God the Creator. Listen to this, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive God glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created one of the reasons to be at church today is because he's created and without him we wouldn't even be here yeah. if you ain't got no other reason to, to be here say lord i'm just here because you brave me breath you gave me life you gave me a place to go maybe you ought to be here because he's lord in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29 says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beautiness of holiness. Why? Because he's God. Is he your Lord of your life? You know what a Lord is? It's someone who rules over it. You have no other reason than to come as maybe is because you ought to be here because he's your redeemer. You know what a redeemer is? It's someone that, that paid the price for you. How many of us really remember what we were before salvation, before the redemption of Jesus Christ came? You, you think about it. He came. He paid the price. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, I think one of the things a lot of people say, well, well preacher, I've sinned. I've not died, but that price will be paid. I, I had a friend that went down to Florida. He said, I didn't know it. 
But along the way, I sped until I got a ticket in the mail that said, you owe. And it showed the picture of my car, my tag, and everything. He said, they're always watching. I thought I got away with it. Well, let me tell you a secret. You don't get away with sin. And we all sin. The price will be paid. And Christ came and paid your price. He redeemed you. He paid the debt. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Sometimes we forget that this ain't all there is. That when you take your last breath here, eternity begins. If you're here to worship Christ as your Redeemer, then you know where you're going. If you don't know and you're not sure, let me share something with you. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, he says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's nothing you do. It's all what he did. He came and he died on the cross for you. He rose again on the third day so that you would have eternal life with him. And if you've never had it, I want to share with you how easy it is to do. The Bible says, If thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Basically, it's as simple as asking the men, but believing what you say. You see, that's like my friend who got a speeding ticket. He could have said, but I wasn't speeding, but the proof showed. I, I meant to go slow, but no, you didn't. You can say, well, I mean to be a good person. I want to get saved. When, when I get older, let me ask you this. Those in here that over 60, how many of you wished you would have started earlier about being more serious? You see, if you treat for a, how many of you are more stubborn than you were when you were younger? That's a better question to ask. I'll have to raise my hand over 60 yet, but I'm more stubborn than I used to be. See, the older you get, the less you're going to care. If God's speaking to you today, today's the day. If you don't know today, if you've been in church your entire life, let me ask you a question. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's your redeemer? But it's easy to ask him. You've got to admit that you're a sinner. You've got to know that you need Jesus. You've got to invite him in. You just pray a prayer simple as, Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I need you in my life. Come in my heart and save me. Make me a new creation. Amen. It's not the words, it's the intent. Maybe you need to worship him today because he's worthy. The Bible tells us that in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess. Even those who say, I don't believe in Jesus, there will be a day that you will see who he is. How much better to do and worship him now 
as your Lord, your Creator, and your Redeemer than when you find out when it's too late. I want to be like the described in Revelation chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. It says, When the beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, and the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshiped him that lived forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Maybe today we just need to fall down and worship God. Say, Father, thank you. Savior, thank you for what you've done. I want to close with the last of the things we need to purge. And that's lying. Proverbs 12, 22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. How many of us lie to the Lord every day? He's your Savior. He's your Redeemer. He's your God, your Creator. But you lie to Him. He tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 to rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks for everything. Quench not the Spirit. But how many of us are doing those, not doing those things, but lying, saying, I'm a good person. I'm all right. I, I, I keep going back to a verse, and it's been on my heart for months. How many of us do not do what Christ calls us to do? Here is his children. We should be the example. In, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How many of us do not do it? Lie, say, I, I believe God's my Savior. I know He's the Lord of my life, but yet we refuse to do that one simple thing. Come to Him with a problem. Come to Him with a care. Oh, I'll take care of it. I got it, God. When I need you, I'll let you know. That's not coming to worship. That's not saying he's your Lord. That's not saying he's your Savior. That's saying you think that you're more stronger than God and you can handle the problem. We're lying. We're not confessing our sin. We'll sit there and we'll do this. He's worse than me. Jesus told us to, to quit judging people. He said, judge not that you be judged. He talks about we're too busy looking at the little moat in somebody else's eye. And we got that big beam sticking out of ours because we're not doing what God wants us to do. I read an article about pruning, and I want to close with this. It said this. It said, there was a gardener who had a vine that was neglected for years. And this man says, don't be too worried about pruning it too lightly. He says, if you have to, take a chainsaw and cut it all the way down to the root. He says, for sometimes we need to have everything removed, but it will come back. You see, a wise vine dresser don't let its fruit grow wildly on its own. He wants to produce the best. God will put you through some things or allow things to happen to you so that he can remove things in your life. 
before the best fruit can grow, a little pruning sometimes needed. Just like the branches here that Jesus describes, every branch on a vine is unique. Every one of us go through things that are totally different than somebody else. He prunes us differently, but the process is the same. See, he knows the good works in your life and he knows the bad things in your life. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to wait on the pruning or do you want to bring them to him today? See, most of the time in pruning in our lives, we know what needs to be removed. But we don't want to do it because it might hurt. It might change things. It might not be the same as it always is. Don't be afraid. Put your hand, your life in the hands of the master who knows what's best for you. Stop worrying about things and in all things seek the Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed.